Are you bored living a mediocre life? We were too, and we know how to change that. Each week, we'll leave our comfort zones to explore a new topic, then step onto our soapboxes, a safe space to sound off on our latest adventure. Come explore with us. All opinions are welcome. This is a mindset. This is a lifestyle. This is Siren Soapbox. Hello and welcome fellow explorers. Thank you for diving in. Our mission is to get you out of your comfort zone to explore because that is where real growth happens. We wanna take you along with us on our next adventure. Find out how by going to sirensoapbox.com. Click dive in and explore to learn more. Wanna put the faces behind the voices of Siren Soapbox? Check us out over at YouTube. In today's episode, we're diving into a, a topic, squirrel. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. What's that over there? Never mind. So to get us acquainted with this topic, we, um, oh, guys, did you know that the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland? What? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. In all seriousness, no. Uh, that's a portrayal of this stereotypical way that people think about other people with ADHD. But there is so much more to neurodivergent functions that most people are not aware of. And that is what we're diving into today. To explore more, we followed the ADHD lady on TikTok, watched ADHD and Woman by How to ADHD, Recognizing ADHD in Adults by Heather Brannon on YouTube, and we took a free three-minute self-assessment ADHD test on psychcom.net. Our soapbox question is, where do you fall on the ADHD scale? Were you surprised? How did you feel about taking the quiz? Add any other experiences you've had with ADHD and what you wanna tell us about it. If at any time our conversation gets too intense, our safe word is? Mango. Mango. First up on her soapbox is Murph. This soapbox was hard to write. So first of all, I took the free ADHD assessment that we found a couple weeks ago and it found a moderate indication of ADHD. I avoided looking at the rest of the homework until the very last minute after I saw that. <laughs> I uh, didn't watch the how to ADHD video, which talked about ADHD in women, like Elsie said, or the TEDx video recognizing ADHD in adults until like last night. But I'm going to tell you, I feel like Heather Brannon was talking to me. I promise you, I have a box of mail that is stuffed in a box in my bedroom at this very moment. It's very old, but I digress. I wasn't surprised by that I might have some ADD. I was surprised, though, to learn that anxiety is often caused by undiagnosed ADHD. So then I spent the whole rest of my day um, having conversations with myself and trying to self-diagnose or decide whether I'm anxious because I really have ADHD or is this hypochondriac episode being brought on by my diagnosed anxiety. Then I wondered what my new doctor is going to think of me if I tell her that I think I might have ADHD. Then I wondered what my therapist is going to think of me tomorrow when I tell her that I'm pretty sure I think I have ADHD, <laughs> even though I know that doctors aren't going to judge me, or at least they shouldn't be, right? So my previous experience is that my son was diagnosed with ADHD when he was in the first grade, and we did put him on some medication, and it helped it helped keep him focused and helped him in school, but it also sort of zombified him. He decided in the sixth grade that he didn't want to take the meds any longer. So we let him go off of them. He struggled through school, but he figured out ways to cope. He's a successful cosmetologist now, but after watching these videos, I wonder if he's still struggling with those ADHD symptoms. So I'm going to talk to him about that. So at this point, I feel like I need to do some more research about this topic and maybe I'll get around to that in between working on all of my half finished projects I have laying around here. <laughs> Sarah, what's your experience with ADHD? Well, I wasn't really sure what to expect with this whole exercise. Before watching the videos, I really didn't know a whole lot about ADHD. I mean, I had some of the same preconceived notions of what it looks like that I suspect many do, but I didn't know that much about it myself. And interestingly, I really don't remember learning much about it in medical school, 
although that was a year or several ago. So I just jumped into the quiz. I'm struggling a little bit with how to express my feelings on the quiz. The questions aren't difficult, but it's pretty clear on which answers lean towards ADHD tendencies. That made it a little tough to actually choose the most honest answer, really. It's also a little tough to say out loud that my quiz score shows a mild indication that I have ADHD. Why so tough? Because I know now that I didn't really answer the questions completely honestly. So after taking the quiz, I watched the videos that were suggested. Watching the first video, the ADHD in women one, I instantly felt a connection with Jessica. I found her to be very personable and easy to listen to. It was interesting to hear how ADHD can manifest in different ways in women, despite the disorder being the same in both sexes, partly due to hormonal influences, but also because of societal expectations of women. The Dr. Brown and TEDx video was also very eye-opening. Listening to the way ADHD can present in adults kind of hit me pretty hard. I just hadn't thought about ADHD like that, and I decided to learn more. So I watched a couple more of Jessica's videos. She has a really great TEDx video herself where she describes her journey to understanding ADHD in more detail. And it's pretty emotional. I mean, she gets emotional, I got emotional. Ugh. And if that wasn't enough, I also watched her video on the ADHD friendly home. She shows how she has made her home more comfortable and functional for her. Some of the things she described could easily describe my home. She and I have the exact same kind of coffee station where everything needed to make my coffee is right there. So I don't have to go looking for something which could lead to forgetting I was making coffee. The fact that Bill makes my coffee in the mornings is an interesting side note, but it means nothing here. And that was just one detail from that video that had me feeling a crazy bond with Jessica. And I plan to continue watching her videos. So I know I'm really over my word count, probably over my time, but I can't skip this last little part. So I retook the quiz and answered a little bit more honestly and this time, my score suggests a moderate indication that I have ADHD. So I guess I'm going to have a, a little bit more learning of my own to do. Uh, with that, on to you, Jess. Thanks, Sarah. I first learned about ADHD when I was in high school. Some good friends of the family were fostering a couple of children who were ADHD. It was described When it was described to me, it sounded really just like it was they were going to have trouble sitting still. But what it actually was and what we experienced was impulse control issues and possible danger to themselves, including one of the children jumping headfirst into an icy lake because they wanted to. ADHD is more than trouble paying attention. Thankfully, a lot more is known about it now than when I was younger, but it also means that kids that didn't get the help when they were young are now adults. I didn't actually know that adults present differently and all the issues associated, especially with women. I didn't think that I have ADHD, but I was very curious and a little bit anxious to take the quiz. As expected, I don't have it or have very low indicators, but I do have very high anxiety, so I was concerned when I saw that that was a symptom. I watched all the videos before taking the quiz, which caused a lot of anxiety before taking the quiz. <laughs> but I did actually learn a lot. I hope that we can help spread the word about this and maybe actually help some adults that have undiagnosed ADHD. I'm super curious what everyone else's experience and what their results were. And with that, on to Audra. Thank you. So I guess I have known about ADHD my whole life. And when I took this particular quiz, I got scored moderate, but on the higher end of moderate. <laughs> so I wasn't surprised about that. I got recently diagnosed as an adult and um, part of being diagnosed later in life meant that I didn't really take advantage of some of the um, opportunities that were available when I was younger in school. Like, I think I would have really benefited from a testing center where it was quieter. I got very distracted with uh, other noises, right? And then some other times, like as an adult, I feel like I have so many thoughts running through my mind very quickly and just so many choices to make that my brain almost feels like it's on like fire or like electricity. Um, and I believe a lot of the reason I didn't get diagnosed when I was younger is due to the negative stigma around it. So my own mother works in the psychology world and in the school psychology world. 
and she gives tests like this all day long. But when it came to her own kids having a diagnosis, that was hard for her to accept. So that is, was my experience growing up. I always felt like some sort of shame around having a different way of learning. And um, that carried over into my adulthood and, to, and manifested in different ways. So I would say definitely perfectionism is something that I struggle with as an adult. Um, but I've really decided to take a active role in my mental health and especially during the last year. And I think being able to be the one who goes out and makes changes and seeks out more information instead of waiting for things to happen to me has changed a lot. And I just think that there's a lot of ways that people with ADHD can be utilized, even in our society today, that intense hyper-focus can allow for so much productivity in a short amount of time. And other that's hard for other people to understand. So I just think there's a lot of different ways to experience the world. And this is just like one way that we can look about our experience here. And with that, on to TC. I took two tests and I admit that I didn't want to take the test and I didn't want the test to indicate that I might have ADHD. So clearly I have some preconceived ideas about how that looks. The first test I took said there was a mild chance I could have ADHD. So I took a second test. The second test said I didn't have symptoms, which made me happy. I'm not really surprised by these results, especially since I knew I didn't want to have it. I wonder if I took the test, not knowing what it was for, if I'd have had the same results. I work in education, so I have lots of experience with ADHD in my work. In all honesty, the news that a new student has ADHD is often met with thoughts of, how much more work will this require? And I wonder if there will be discipline challenges. I also have some friends with ADHD. Interestingly, my friends with ADHD are some of the most creative, most fun friends I have. So why all the negative connotations? I feel like too often we concentrate more on people's shortcomings and challenges than we do their strengths, even more so with diagnoses. If you ask people to describe someone with ADHD, they are likely to describe some of the things that are seen as negative not being able to pay attention, not being able to control their impulses, um, having, to, having additional learning needs, things like that. But did you know that some symptoms of ADHD are hyper-focus, resilience, creativity, great conversational skills, spontaneity, courage, high energy? Who doesn't want to be described that way? What if ADHD was described differently? What if we described the positives and some of the negatives? I wonder if it would have changed how I felt while taking the test. Elsie, how'd you feel while taking the test? Well, didn't surprise me at all. That little needle on the chart was as far in the red as it could go for strong indication of ADHD. I tested for and was diagnosed with ADHD in college. I didn't really notice struggling with it growing up, but when I was living on my own in the dorms and left to my own devices, let's just say I followed the dopamine a little too much in my early college years. I was on Adderall for a few years, but I disliked how it made me feel. It took me 17 years to finally get a degree, mainly because I struggle busted through all the classes I'm not interested in. But if you put me in a subject I'm passionate about, I will soak it up like a sponge and to what some people would call an obsessive level. My husband frequently comments on my hobbies that I pick up, master, and drop, various art skills, piano, etc. Even for certain foods, I get on food kicks where I have to have the thing all the time and then get absolutely sick of it. I frequently lose an entire day because I'm hyper-focused on a project. Interruptions are terrifying for me. I am afraid all the information will just spill out of my head. 
It is incredibly difficult to shift gears in the middle of the day. I have to plan everything in the morning. Otherwise, I am paralyzed until the thing, whatever it is, appointments, meetings, whatever, until it gets done. If I cannot see it, I forget about it, which usually got me in trouble a lot <laughs> at my previous job. And I know all this sounds negative and it is a struggle. I am frustrated that society forces us to fit into this box and say that this is the only right way. We're all different. Imagine how many inventions and creations we would have missed out on in history if the world all thought the same. I am incredibly creative, not to toot my own horn, toot toot. I surprise myself out with outside the box thinking all the time. And frankly, I like the way that I look at the world. I just need how to learn how to function in it better. But maybe we can help figure that out with our guest today. She has over 98,000 followers on TikTok for people who look to her for ADHD content. She is on the Coordinating Chaos podcast uh, with the ADHD lady. She is an ADHD ASD coach through her site, The ADHD Lady. She has eight years of experience in special education, as well as a lifetime of being neurodivergent herself, diagnosed at 28 with ADHD and ASD at 30. She is also a dual ADHD relationship and assists in parenting her partner's ADHD children. She loves being able to help as many people as she can through coaching and is currently working on her meditation instructor cert in addition to other life coaching certifications to help her clients. Please welcome to the show, Amanda Carey. Welcome to the <laughs> show, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here tonight. I have a question for you. Um, I have a friend who was diagnosed in college with ADHD and mm -hmm. her response was one of relief. But as I took the test, I definitely did not want that diagnosis. I'm curious what is a typical response and how, how did you feel when you were diagnosed, when you found out you had it? Um, you know, since we're all different individuals, we're all going to have different upbringings that may lean more towards the stigmatized ideas of ADHD or less towards that side. Um, I know from my own personal experience, I was not diagnosed when I was younger because of that stigma. Uh, I had a doctor when I was in elementary school say to my mom, hey, I think she might have ADD, as it was called back then. It's no longer part of the diagnosis. Everything falls under ADHD now. But, um, you know, he had mentioned it and I definitely had the signs, um, but I did well in school. So my mom and dad felt that the diagnosis wasn't really necessary and that I wasn't really struggling in the way that people knew then, you know, what ADHD struggles were. Thankfully, now we have a lot of additional information. Um, so when I got diagnosed later in life, uh, part of it was, oh, wow, how have I not actually received this diagnosis yet? <laughs> uh, especially working in special education, seeing that, hey, these things we're learning in these in-services, they, they help me too, in addition to the kids I'm working with. <laughs> So, you know, the, the signs were definitely there. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of stigma with it because I kind of, kind of knew all along that the doctor's voice kind of stuck in the back of my head. And I was that person who made jokes like, oh yeah, I'm just a little ADD. Um, but I was really very ADHD. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it really, I think it depends on all of our backgrounds and, uh, I didn't have as much of a problem because I had kind of started trying to learn more about it. Uh, especially when my sister and my dad were diagnosed, um, while I was in my teenage years, you know, still not diagnosed myself, but they got their answers. <laughs> um, you know, it, it really wasn't as much of a hit, um, as it could have been. So, but I know that's been others' experiences that it's really something that kind of sideswipes them that they weren't expecting it by any means. Elsie, how about you? Do you do you remember how it felt when you realized that you had ADHD? I remember taking the tests and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, my friend 
was having a crisis of some sort. I remember she kept text messaging me the entire test. And I'm like, this is so distracting. Like, <laughs> I can't get back into the thing. Like, I know I have it. It's not surprising. I'm pretty sure my mom has it. Um, there's a lot of things that I've learned through TikTok that are symptoms that I didn't even know. Like she will, you tell her a story and then she'll tell you a story that relates to it. And it kind of, it almost on the surface seems like, well, it's selfish. Now you're, you're pulling the attention away from my issue, but she's trying to like say, Hey, I, I understand what you're going through. That's how we process and say, Hey, we understand what, what you're going through. So it didn't surprise me at all. I am curious though, if it's a genetic thing, cause like you said your, your brother and dad have it, Amanda. Oh, my whole family, whole family. <laughs> and um, Mer's son. Uh-huh. Is yeah. it genetic? Uh, so it is. Um, so the science is pointing to, um, most of the time ADHD falls in that hereditary category. Um, there are a handful of things that they're discovering could potentially cause it, uh, you know, in either in utero or right at birth. Um, it's usually some sort of trauma, uh, either during the pregnancy or during the birth. Um, but outside of that, the, you know, primary evidence is that it is genetic. Um, my dad, is ADHD. My sister was diagnosed when she was about eight. My brother is autistic and ADHD as well. And my mom has a thyroid condition, (laughs) undiagnosed ADHD for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, definitely a a big genetic component. We can actually kind of look, we started looking at the family history going back even a little bit. And my grandfather, who knows nothing about ADHD, when I describe just a handful of the symptoms, he's like, oh, my mother was ADHD then. (laughs) That's funny. So do you think, is it overdiagnosed or is it overhyped right now? So I think the pandemic really shed a light on a lot of uh, coping strategies that we've put in place to manage our symptoms. And then when the world shut down, those strategies all went to the wayside because an ADHD brain does really well in structure and we took all the structure away. So a lot of people started noticing these things that maybe were a struggle when they were a little bit younger, but they've learned how to deal with it. And, you know, now they're recognizing that, oh, wait, no, this really has been a problem the whole time. And I've been changing myself to try and make it work to fit in. But, you know, something I hear a lot is, oh, I I always felt like I was just fighting so hard to keep up. Is there a way to treat ADHD other than medication or is medication typically the answer? Um, So I'm unmedicated. I, I manage my ADHD through, you know, making sure that I'm working on making my home, my job, the most functional for me and how my brain works. Um, I also see a therapist though, to manage the emotional regulation side, um, you know, and to get other strategies on that end that can help to support me in other ways. Uh, I did take uh, Stratera, which is a non-stimulant medication for a short period of time. And Um, what I really was trying to do with that medication was it was shortly after I was diagnosed. Um, I was using that to help me learn the skills and strategies that I needed to make my day-to-day life more functional. Um, you know, there are definitely things that we can implement that are non-medication based, um, that, you know, will help with ADHD symptoms. Um, but medication is really the way that some people need to go. Um, especially when you're really struggling with executive dysfunction, which is one of the biggest symptoms of ADHD that, you know, all the clients I work with as a coach are battling on a daily basis. And even me knowing these skills and strategies, it's still a battle that I have to fight with my own brain all the time. Um, so yes, the long-winded ADHD version of that (laughs) answer is... Uh, yes, you can manage it without medication, but, um, I think the medication has been really stigmatized too. Um, and I really have seen the benefits that, uh, you know, different medications can provide for the individuals that I work with. 
That's good to hear because the recognizing ADHD in adults, Heather Brannon, I really felt like was pushing getting on some sort of medication. Like it's a chemical imbalance and to fix it. I don't have problems with people taking medicine, but for me, Adderall, like I was up all the time. I get like three hours of sleep when I was on that. You could eat dinner off of my floor and my house was so clean. I just, I didn't <laughs> like how I felt when I was on it. I was like, I don't know, maybe it was too much Adderall, but I need to find ways to cope outside of medicine. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely something, you know, that I've, I've heard in my time working with other ADHDers too, is that it takes a little while to figure out the right dosage and the right med for each person. Um, for some people, they need a combo of some non-stimulants and a stimulant medication um, because they both do different things. Um, so the simplified way that I like to describe ADHD meds is that you're sitting in a car and the ADHD is the driver. The stimulant medication jumps right on their lap and helps them push the gas, but they're still driving. They're still making the choices. The medication is just there as an aid to help them get going. The non-stimulant medication is sitting in that passenger seat and they're just kind of helping the driver stay calm and helping to guide them along the way. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still the ADHD are making the choices that, you know, they need to for themselves and to make their life the most functional. So that's why learning these different strategies um, is such an important, you know, thing to do because this world wasn't built for our brains. So I know that students or children with ADHD, there are some judgments that are immediately made. And I never really considered how it impacts an adult until we have a siren who didn't want to come on because of um, some concern that it might negatively impact her at work. And I'm wondering if any of the people on right now who have ADHD have experienced that. I mean, I said in my soapbox that I would get in trouble a lot at work because projects would be left unfinished that I didn't even know were there, but they were way in the back and the office was so chaotic and a mess. It was hard for me to process. And I didn't realize at the time that that's my ADHD in action right there. Like if I can't see it, it does not exist to me and I didn't get it done. So that was something that yeah, because of my ADHD, but I, nobody knew at my job. I didn't talk about it. Um, I didn't have as much knowledge and research as I do now on the subject. So I think I would have been able to now more effectively do my job <laughs> being able to like, oh, this needs to be fixed. I need to put it here so it gets done and I don't get yelled at at work. But I have never, ever heard anybody getting it not in trouble. Um, what am I trying to say? punished. Thank you <laughs> for having ADHD. Like that should be, that's illegal, right? You can't discriminate against somebody for having well, it. Yeah, it's definitely illegal. It's protected under the Americans with Disabilities Act. ADHD is. I, I get all of that, but that doesn't impact, that doesn't prevent people from judging someone negatively and behaving differently towards them because yeah that just happens. So I was just curious if anyone's ever experienced that and not just at work, but anywhere in life, you know, I mean, I'm just curious if somebody felt suddenly judged because they said I have ADHD. I don't, I, well, you know, that's not happened to me because I don't know if anyone would necessarily look at me and what I do at work and the way I operate that they would, I don't think anyone would say, oh yeah, she has ADHD tendencies, but I do know that where I work, if we ever talk about anything to do with ADHD, it's to, you know, I mean, this sounds horrible to say, but it's just the truth, just to make fun of somebody and you say, oh gosh, look at that, clearly ADHD, you know? So yeah, I think it's, it's a very, it has a very negative connotation, at least where I work. Um, but I think that that's not necessarily where I work. I think it's just people. I think people in general are like that. They like to judge and, you know, because I think a lot of people out there, when they judge, they feel better about themselves. Because well, and they, I think, sorry, good. 
No, go ahead. Oh, I think we just don't understand everything about it. And if we don't understand it, we're going to kind of pick on it. Like it kind of, it made me sad TC that you're like, I'm going to sway the test because I don't, or I'm going to take the test again until I get the result I want. It doesn't change who you are. If anything, it's going to help you better to know how to, to, to live in your world. And if people treat you differently because of that, then shame on them. I was going to say in the workplace, I have felt the need to explain myself because of my ADHD tendencies or habits, I guess. So I will take notes and doodle all through our meeting. And that doesn't mean that I'm not paying attention or hearing you. I can hear you and process that information, but my hand needs to be doing something. And I think something that has come out of I don't know, just this new generation of kids in school is all these different fidget toys. I love that. I would have loved that in school. If I could have just Mm -hmm. kept my hands busy, I would have been able to pay attention a lot better in class. When we worked from home, I knit when I was on meetings because it kept me focused. (laughs) If I, I mean, I obviously couldn't do that in the office, but when we were working from home and I'd be on a conference call, I'd be knitting so that I wouldn't start browsing the internet or something. Stop paying attention because you didn't have enough dopamine to keep you interested in that stupid work meeting. (laughs) (laughs) So Amanda, what are some coping skills that people can, can learn to help better function? Um, So the number one thing that I suggest is really educating yourself on your brain. Um, learning those different symptoms and traits that are associated with ADHD so that you can find where you fit. Um, you know, that acceptance piece is life-changing, um, and really the best place to start. Uh, And then going from there, you know, kind of seeing where you're struggling the most. So the fidget toys, absolutely 100%. And behind that, I am sitting here playing with silly putty myself, um, (laughs) and have a whole bucket of fidgets next to me. (laughs) Um, and this is something I do my entire day as I'm working with clients and coaching, you know, I'm using one fidget or another, and it really does help me to stay more present and to, you know, be a more attentive listener. Um, and you know, just that focus piece is definitely something that we are constantly battling against. Um, as far as other coping strategies go, I mean, it really depends on the area of your life that those struggles are coming from. So if it's household management, um, letting go of the idea of how things should be, you know, just because my mom did it this way doesn't mean that I have to. And finding a way to make things the most functional for you and your space. Uh, you know, I, I know that <laughs> if my mom walked in my house on, you know, any given day, she would sit there and probably roll her eyes one or two times at some of the dishes sitting in the sink or, you know, a basket of laundry. But in reality, my house is in great shape for, you know, given the executive dysfunction that we're constantly battling as an all ADHD household here. <laughs> um, you know, my most functional for me in my home is making sure that there's a place for people to sit and a clean glass for them to, to drink out of. And that's really like the primary baseline for us. Anything, you know, above that is great and functional. Um, and then as far as work coping strategies go, you know, it's, it's knowing what your needs are is really the most important thing. So I, I love that, you know, taking notes during the meetings and doodling on the paper, you know, knowing that, Hey, this is the thing that my brain needs for me to be able to sit and listen to this. That's fantastic. Um, but also, you know, if you are diagnosed with ADHD, like I said, it's protected under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So there are reasonable accommodations that we can ask for, things like earlier or later start times to limit distractions, um, being able to work with noise canceling headphones on, um, you know, even working from home is an accommodation that might be accessible for some people. Um, but definitely knowing what your needs are and being able to advocate for yourself. Um, is a really, really important thing with figuring out what strategies are best for you. So I I loved TC's list of 
positive traits that people with ADHD portray. So one of the things, one of the questions that we had for you was where do people with ADHD shine? Where are they, where are they at their best? Uh, so definitely creativity tends to be a really big um, positive with ADHD. So when ADHDers get the chance to use that creativity um, to do something that is novel and new and exciting, that's something our brains are really motivated by. Um, and ADHDers also really excel in high pressure workplaces because you are under a constant sense of urgency. Because an ADHD brain is not motivated by reward and consequence. It's motivated by urgency, by novelty, by challenge. Uh, so, you know, those things, that's why you'll see an ADHD who can spend hours and hours doing this one thing that seems like, oh, well, they can focus on that, but why can't they focus on getting those dishes done? It's because our brains aren't motivated by, hey, I've got to do the dishes. It's motivated by that novelty and that interest. Um, so really a field where they're able to utilize those things and um, the high pressure, like I said, really gets that urgency going. So like nursing and even teaching, um, you know, can have that high pressure too. Um, those are just a few examples. You mentioned dishes, but for me, it's the laundry. Oh, and I yeah. have, I have a system where I use all the clothes that I have, and then I wash them. And then I slowly take them out of the dryer day by day until my pile is big enough again, that I have to wash them. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, and those are the hardest tasks because they're never ending. So, you know, we are constantly having to keep up on these things for maintenance. Um, and in those scenarios, it's really important to find our why. So why am I doing this thing? Why is it necessary for me to, you know, do the laundry and to empty it? Will it make my life easier to have stuff be in the drawer upstairs instead of having to go downstairs, you know, while it's freezing cold in the morning, trying to dig something out of the dryer. Um, so really discovering our whys and letting go of other people's shoulds is uh, a really great tool. Yeah, that's. For me, laundry is something that I have to get done and fold it and put away because I need to know which cl what clothes I have. And if they're in a pile, I it stresses me out. TC? That kind of reminds me. Sorry. No, go ahead, Elsie. <laughs> no, go ahead, Mer. I was just going to say, TC, I feel like we've interrupted you like three times now. <laughs> I was just going to say that that advice that Amanda gave sounds like really good advice for absolutely everyone whether you have ADHD or not. For sure. I agree with that. Letting go of other people's shoulds. Yeah. Oh, I totally just wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> well, and that's the really kind of neat thing about the skills and strategies that I do talk about on TikTok and, you know, in my coaching and everything. Um, you don't have to be diagnosed with ADHD to benefit from these things. Uh, and that's something that would be a really positive change in our society would be understanding that, everyone utilizes executive functioning and ADHDers, you know, we struggle more with it, but we're not the only ones. There's tons of other neurodivergencies that struggle with the functions in that prefrontal cortex. You know, when you have anxiety and depression, that makes it more difficult to use our executive functioning. When you have autism, that also impacts executive functioning. Um, so all of these different things have an impact on our decision-making and, um, you know, those cognitive abilities. So changing the way that we do things really benefits a lot of people, not just ADHDers. So I have to know, Amanda, how accurate are the, or reliable are these free ADHD internet assessments? <laughs> Um, I think they're a really good baseline for getting you started on finding some answers. Um, you know, obviously it depends on what test you're taking, um, whether it's going by DSM criteria or not. Um, so I, I can't say with certainty that, yeah, this, if it says you're mild, moderate or high, that's, that's 100% spot on because there's other things that are utilized for making a diagnosis. You know, the symptoms need to be present 
um, before six months time. You know, it needs to be shown over an extended period of time. The symptoms can't be part of a different diagnosis. Um, so there's, there's a lot of other factors that are missing in the online tests, but I do think that they give people a place to start. Um, and at the very least, you know, if it indicates, hey, this is an area that I struggle in, even if you don't have ADHD, that's something that, you know, can kind of try to figure out then how to make that more functional for us. And if someone suspects that they have ADHD, what would your advice be to them for next steps? Um, so definitely talking with your doctor and kind of seeing um, what they recommend uh, is, of course, a great way to go. Um, you know, in the U.S., we have a few different people that can diagnose ADHD. So a primary care physician can, but not all do. Um, you know, a psychologist uh, can also diagnose, but they can't medicate. Um, a psychiatrist really tends to be the way that most people go for that formal diagnosis. Um, and, you know, definitely if, if that's something that's accessible, that can help with, you know, getting that diagnosis and then therefore getting the accommodations you might need in your workplace. Um, but at the very least, you know, starting to learn about your brain is a really helpful thing for anybody. Um, and I would say too, that the more information that you can give to the provider, the better, because unfortunately ADHD isn't just stigmatized in our society. It is stigmatized in the medical field. And, um, I have sadly met a lot of people who were turned down for their concerns and told that, nope, it's just anxiety and depression. You know, all the evidence is there, but no, it's just anxiety and depression because you're smart. That's, that's one that I've heard too many times. You're, you didn't have trouble in school, so you can't possibly have ADHD. That's not part of diagnostic criteria. ADHDers are very smart. Um, you know, there's other learning disabilities that can be comorbidities, but, uh, you know, that has nothing to do with the actual ADHD diagnosis. Those are other separate diagnoses. Um, so, you know, definitely advocating for yourself too, is another really big thing. If you truly believe that this is what's going on, um, you know, speak up. We, we talk a lot about synchronicities here, Lauren, you, especially, um, you seem to have the most of them, but I thought it was interesting that, um, in one of the videos, uh, or somewhere you were talking about, um, the negative voices in your head. And I seem to recall a couple of our good friends talking about the negative voices in our heads, the Queens, you know, they mm -hmm. talk about the exact same thing. For sure. Yeah. The horde. Mm -hmm. Also about letting go of the shoulds that's come up in our show before too. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love that. Uh, on your site, Amanda, you have some planning sheets. Yeah. Can you explain these a little bit of your, your planners and the spoons and how do these help people with ADHD? Uh, so the, the first one, the, the daily planning sheet, um, one thing that I did with that was limit the amount of time slots because something that ADHDers do is, uh, we have trouble with time management um, and especially understanding how much time things take. So a lot of the times we will underestimate, you know, Hey, I've got this big project to do. It's only going to take me 20 minutes. Um, so, you know, limiting the times by just by the hour so that we're not over planning um, and going with that five month long to-do list that we expect to finish in a day. Um, that's one of the things with that specific planning sheet that I find to be really helpful. Also the three things list that's on there, um, is really, really great for an ADHD brain because when we have that massive to-do list, uh, what tends to happen is we sit in overwhelm, look at the list and get more and more stressed out that we're not doing anything on the list, but that's not actually helping us get up and do the list. <laughs> Um, the overwhelm tends to really work against us in most cases. And then that's where those other negative voices come in. And uh, a lot of self-shame um, really comes with an ADHD 
uh, brain, unfortunately, because we feel like we're constantly trying to keep up and not doing enough. Um, so limiting, you know, your to-do list to just three things to start. That doesn't mean you have to only do three things. If you're doing, you know, you're on a roll and you feel like you can do more then absolutely add three more things to the list. But if all you get done is three things, that's so much more than the list just running in your head, not getting touched. Um, as far as some of the other planning sheets, there is one for time management, uh, especially because you know we we don't have that great concept of time. So uh, the one sheet is really focused on making it a game and kind of you know testing it out and seeing okay, well this is how long I think the thing takes. Um, let's see if it actually takes that long. <laughs> Uh, and what usually happens is for the things that we really enjoy, those actually tend to be the ones that we have completely underestimated. Um, yeah, that, oh, the, the five minutes felt like nothing. <laughs> um, the things that we can't stand, though, those are the ones that we sit there in our head and are like, oh, my God, this is going to take an hour. And in reality, it probably takes five to 10 minutes. But um, you probably spent 50 minutes dreading it. Yeah. So. <laughs> It did take an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then the spoon sheet that you mentioned too. Um, so something that a lot of ADHDers relate to is spoon theory, um, which is the idea that you are only given a certain amount of spoons in the day. Um, some days you have more spoons than others. Um, and you use those spoons and trade it in for a task. Um, so for some people, you know, a shower might take three spoons and if all they had was five spoons, then they're more than halfway through what they have available to give for that day. Um, so the spoon sheet is really a way that you can judge based on the time of day. You know, how am I feeling? Am I feeling like my mind and body have more spoons right now? Or is it a low spoon day? And in that case, you know, do I need to maybe just focus on self-care and just making sure that I'm fed and have had water? Um, you know, cause sometimes those things fall to the wayside, um, more than sometimes actually. <laughs> I love the spoon theory. Yeah. <laughs> have you all heard that before? I just love that. I haven't. I have oh, not never heard, heard that. that before. It's common in chronic illness. Um, uh, culture, right? So the thought that you only start the day with so many spoons and that's all the energy you have and you have to be thoughtful and wise with that energy. And I think if you believe that and then you explain that to the other people in your life, that can um, really relieve a lot of miscommunication. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but how, I love it. How, how many, how do you know how many spoons you have in a day? It's up to you. I wish I had infinite. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the most important. It's not about how many we'd like to have, because I know how many I want on a daily basis. <laughs> not a wish list. It's a have list. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like to say, like, this is so cool that we live in a time with like information sharing like this. Like, I don't think I would have got worksheets that are going to help my brain from my primary care doctor. And unless I take the time to go to a therapist and speak about what is really going on, I'm probably not going to get somebody coming to me and presenting this information to me. But now it's so accessible and like so many things like TikTok and, and YouTube, just we can get that information so fast. So I think this is really cool that we can talk about it so openly. Agreed. Yeah. I love that too. And I had a question and I cannot remember what it was. So there you oh, go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole story, friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a really fun evening with you ladies. I hope you all did too. I Let's leave a challenge for our listeners this week to think about something in your life that you've considered a challenge and identify three opportunities it presents for your life. Share those thoughts with us by using the hashtag Siren Soapbox on all the social medias. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I feel like I've learned a lot. 
Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time talking to you guys tonight. Good. We hope to, uh, maybe we'll hear from you again sometime. That would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And Sirens, it was so nice to have all of you back together again. Thank you so much for this informative and thought-provoking discussion. And thank you, fellow explorer, for listening to this episode. Make sure you click that subscribe button so you don't miss a single one of our podcasts. And head on over to our website, sirensoapbox.com. There you'll find links to Amanda's site and to her TikTok channel, which is the ADHD lady. You'll also find a link to our brand new YouTube channel. And uh, maybe you can see what we're up to next. Maybe you'll even be inspired to dive in with us. Until next time, dive in, stay curious, and be happy. So I didn't want to say this for the actual episode because, you know, I don't want it to sound like I'm taking things lightly, but I have a slightly different take on the spoon theory or the spoon. Um, it's, it's how many fucks I have left to give at the end of the day. <laughs> and sometimes by the end of my day, I have no fucks left to give. And it's a very different Sara at work. And everybody at work knows when Sara's given her last fuck and they better not mess with her anymore. <laughs> but I didn't think that would be appropriate for the episode. I don't think you should drop fucks on a, a sheet, a worksheet that people can download. <laughs> but that... That did help me understand because I'm sitting here like spoons. Why spoons? How'd they pick spoons? What? But now that you say fucks, I completely understand what they're all talking about. Yep. <laughs> I, uh, I made a shirt once because I've been part of the chronic illness community for a long time. So spoon theory has been something I was informed on before my own ADHD diagnosis. I made a shirt that says um, it had a spoon and a fork and it says no spoons left. Please fork off. Uh, I like it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox and a special thank you to C-Strings for providing our music. Snag their latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the sirens on all the social medias and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.